electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the real start of earnings season, as Netflix, as you know by now, reports in less than four hours' time, the first of the fangs to deliver its results. Will it be enough to carry the Nasdaq's early run even higher? We discuss and debate that with the investment committee. Stocks off to a weak start today, as you clearly can see in front of you, and I'll show you. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Amy Raskin, right here at the table, Jim Labenthal, and Steve Weiss. Now let's check out the markets. We're just past 12 noon, and you got the Dow down about 266. Stocks have been weak for the, for the most part of the entire session thus far. S&P uh, giving up 3,900, near 1%. There's the NASDAQ down by more than 1%. Small caps are weak today, 339, the yield on the 10-year note. Weiss, Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey says the market needs a breather, uh, and it looks out of gas. I'll tell you, the more provocative thought here comes from Piper Sandler today about a, a change in the market, that the bad news bears are back, that bad news is, in fact, bad news. And that it's no longer bad economic news means the Fed is good news because the Fed's going to slow down or stop. It's just bad news. It is bad news. And so the narrative is coming out. You know, Professor Siegel was on uh, last week when I was on with him. He said, hey, because everybody's saying one thing, it means the other thing's going to happen. And that's not always true. The wisdom of the crowds actually dictates otherwise. So now you're seeing come to fruition. You see the banks come out. You saw Discover come out today and said, hey, yeah. our net charge-offs are going to double. double, right? They're, they're, double. they're warning about rising credit card losses. Right, right. And, and people like to keep their credit cards. So that's one of the last things. You've got, you've got Microsoft now cutting big heads. You've got Amazon cutting their charity program, which to say hasn't been effective. Uh, so the signs are there. And this is still early innings in terms of the economy, meaning that I think it's a lot worse before it gets better. And, um, you know, I'm back short, uh, not net short, but fairly neutral at this point. We'll go through some of those moves later on. But I, I just think you're really whistling by the graveyard if you focus on existing numbers today, if you focus on living in New York City and see the restaurants crowded or the planes that you're taking to some of your uh, hoity-toity vacation spots. Irv? Or is it, do you prefer Irv or Irve? Uh, I don't want to confuse you with the other guy who lived on Fantasy Island. But, um, but I think it's really getting tough in the economy Well, here. I mean, J- Jimmy would say the exact opposite, and I'll let him say it, right? I mean, he agrees with you that this is the start, only he thinks it's the start of a new bull market. You told me yesterday you think this is a bull market. 
I should I should have learned after 10 years. I, my radar was going off so wildly when you asked me that yesterday. I knew this was going to come back and be a label, but okay, okay. Own I'll, it. I'll go, I'll, I didn't even what? call you Jimmy the Bull until just now. Well, actually, that, that has a nice ring to it. Can we go with that? Jimmy sure. the Bull. Jimmy the Bull. Okay. Um, look, I, I think a better way to say this, or what I would have rather said, is that do I see value in the market today? I see value all over the place. And I do think these are prices at which you can buy. Now, Steve, as much as you and I, you know, jab at each other. I respect what your position is. I understand what your thesis is. No, I think you're a great investor, for the record, but I love kidding. I, 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 we, we both love it. But I hear what you're saying about the data right now does not necessarily portend what the data will be. I will grant you that is true. The problem that I have, and this is earnest, okay, this is not jabbing at you, okay, is that we've been having this exact conversation, and with Scott as well, for literally nine months, okay? And I look at today's news. One thing you said, very true, okay, bad news is bad news. That was yesterday, retail sales. Today, good news should be good news. That should be the the other side of that. And the jobless claims at 190,000, I know people are going to start shouting at the screen, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. Inflation's coming down. The Fed should be happy, okay? They have another mandate. They have two mandates, not just price stability, but maximum employment. They're getting both of them. They should do 25 basis points in two weeks and then go to data dependent. I can't say that they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe they're just hell bent for leather and 5% plus is the number no matter what. But right now, this is what a soft landing looks like. And I know I'm going to go back to my friend Steve here for a second, okay? You have adroitly said for quite some time, we don't know what the E in the price to earnings multiple is. I'll grant you that. But I take a lot of comfort that the E is not going to be as bad as you think for one simple reason. People are employed. When they are employed, they consume. And this economy is 70% consumption. So you don't think this is simply another bear market bounce? I do not. And you do? I, I, I do, and I think there'll be more of them. But, you know, let me just modify something you said that I said. I said you're looking at the data today on the good parts of the economy, and I'm looking at the data today on the bad parts of the economy. That's true. However, I'm looking at the data going forward where I think it's going to come out. And I don't think that today or this quarter when companies report and the economic data is the end of the story that will allow the Fed to take, uh, you know, to reverse or even pause. I think it's the beginning of the story in terms of the economy. And I throw China's reopening on that and oil prices going up. And now you're in an economy, the second largest economy in the world, third largest now, I guess, in terms of population. Um, That's now, the doors are open. And that fire hose that we saw post the pandemic of demand is going to start a change. Oh, so you think, okay, so you're suggesting that's an inflationary event. So, Bryn, um, is this anything more than a a bear market bounce? Is the soft landing scenario some, like Jim and others, are pushing. Is it legit? Is it real? Does it have any validity to it? What do you think? Well, right now, the data is telling you this is a bear market bounce. And the two pieces of data as an investor that you need to chart out since all of last year are pretty simple. The 200-day moving average for the S&P and the two-year Treasury versus Fed funds. So let's look at the 200-day moving average for the S&P. It ran up to 4,000 and then got totally rejected. So what needs to happen right now is that 3,800 is support, and we need to hold that. If we don't hold that 3,800 with support, unfortunately, it looks like technically we're gonna go lower. And so let's just wait and see where like 3,897 right now. The second piece of data that's so important, and we've talked about this a bunch, is the two-year versus Fed funds. All of last year, 
the two-year was well above Fed funds because there's an adage, and it's not scientific, it's not mathematical, doesn't happen all the time, that the Fed follows the two-year. And all of last year, the Fed was very behind. But guess what? After the last Fed hike, Fed funds are now at 433. The two-year is about 410, 415. And so when that, what that's telling you is the Fed should be almost done. And so historically, that's been a good indicator. So I think we have a glass half full, half empty. The 200-day is telling you we're firmly in a bear market, and this was just a bounce. The two-year, if the Fed continues to follow that, is telling you that the Fed is almost done, where they're tightening, and then to Jim's point, should be data dependent. Market says Fed almost done. Fed says not almost done. That, that's the greatest conflict within the market, right, Amy? The, the bond market says they're, they're, they're almost done or they should be done, or who cares what they say because they're going to be done. The Bullards of the world would say we're not even close to done. And he argued it again yesterday. And by the way, Jamie Dimon doesn't think they're close to done either. I want you to listen to what he said out in Davos to our gang, and we can react to that on the other side. Here's Dimon. I actually think rates will probably go higher than 5%. Higher than 5%. That's my own view because I think there's a lot of underlying inflation which won't go away so quick. Right, Amy? I mean, that's, that's why Bullard says what he does. And that's why Mester right. says what she does. And that's why everybody else says what they do, because they don't believe that some of the more sticky parts of inflation are coming down fast enough or will unless they keep their pedal on the floor. I disagree with that. I hate to disagree with Jamie Dimon, but um, I think inflation is going to come down pretty fast. I think it already is. If you look at the three month or six month rolling averages, um, rent will stay high. But I think people will look through that because they'll know it's a lagging indicator and they'll be looking more at the leading indicators, which I think are going to come down, continue to come down pretty fast, especially as we get to higher comps. So I'm much more focused on what the bond market is saying than what the Fed is saying. Remember, at the end of last year, the Fed dot plot had the Fed funds rate ending 2022 at 0.9 or something like that. So uh, the Fed can change pretty quickly. I think the bond market um, is where you should be looking for your guidance as to what's going to happen with rates. What do I do with that, Weiss? If I believe that Amy's right and that the bond market is right and the Fed is wrong, do I look for opportunities to buy stocks? Should I be more opportunistic and think that there is the value that Jim says across the, the entire market? He, 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 here's the quagmire, okay? You don't want the Fed to be wrong because if Fed's wrong, it'll be like they're wrong the last time when they let inflation go away. So if they're wrong now by keeping their foot on the pedal, for so long, it means the economy is going to decline. Well, it means they over-tighten and they, exactly. they throw us off the cliff. Exactly. But I, but I think that, uh, you know, historically, Amy's right. And I used to work with Amy you know, a while ago, and she's, she's brilliant and always has a good eye on the market. But um, there's so many different things going on in the bond market right now. You look at the 60-40 funds. I don't think they're as a reliable indicator leading indicator of where the economy is going as it was or what the Fed's going to do. What I'd say is that a lot of this is reading the headlines, but you got to read the story. So the headline is the Fed's going to pause. OK, maybe, you know, I don't think so, but maybe. But what's the story? The story is they're going to pause because they think they've crushed the economy. Well, they're eventually enough. going to pause. Absolutely. The question is, many in the market like Jim suggests that, well, it's 25 in a couple of weeks. Right. And then at the most... At the most, it's another 25. 
And that's, and that's why it. it's fine, too. So, so, but but the, the, let me just finish but the, the, the Some of the Fed are suggesting even more than that, right? You can't right. get to five and a quarter to five and a half on the terminal well, rate right. if you stop after 50 more basis points. Right. You but, need 75 to 100 more basis points in total to get to where Bullard and others suggest we'll get to. And, and I, Jamie Dimon yeah, may, and may think. Yeah, I think you do go over five because you've got to be in a restrictive environment. But, you know, what, what I'd say to all that is that there's momentum. There's momentum to the upside, there's momentum to the downside. And the momentum on the downside will be in the corporate earnings. So I don't think valuation is even close to where you want to be. So, I mean, look, I think the reason we're talking about the Fed continually for the last year is because when the market perceives that the Fed is ready to pause, the market will relax, will ease, will go up, whatever you want to say, okay? So that's why this matters. So I ask this question and I ask it rhetorically. Nobody has to answer it. It's for everybody to answer individually. Is it a reasonable projection that they do 25 basis points as is currently projected? And then you've got two full months of inflation data and other economic data uh, before the March, I believe it's the March 22nd meeting. You've got two full months uh, of inflation data. If that inflation continues to come in well, and as Amy pointed out, and I did this on the show with you, Scott, last week, when CPI was reported, for the last six months, headline CPI for the last six months is up 0.9%. Now, we can carve that, we can slice and dice that and say that this component's going up, or, you know, X shelter services is doing that, but the whole enchilada is up 0.9% over six months. If that continues for the next two months, when the Fed would have to make a decision about going past one more 25 basis point hike. I just don't see it happening for one very simple reason. The Federal Reserve Act, as amended, gives the Fed a dual mandate, price stability, which they will have, and maximum employment. And they will be taken to task by Congress if they start killing jobs when they've already got price stability. But they'll make the argument that they're not close to real price stability because inflation's too sticky, especially on but the services side. You, if you've you got look, eight months of it at that point, eight months, that argument, no that argument is, is hard to make. There's no definition that maximum employment is 3%, right? Maximum employment can be 5% as a target, right? It's not going to be Let's zero. Let's discuss this, because there's a new note that just dropped moments ago, literally, from Marco Kalanovic over at J.P. Morgan. And before I get to the substance of what he is suggesting, I want you to answer, mm -hmm. Weiss, what's priced into the market now? Soft landing? Is that priced in? Is a recession priced in? What's priced in? I, I think there's fear of a soft recession that's priced in to the market right now. A soft quick recession. So a mild recession is in mild, the market. quick, I believe, is priced in the market. Right Interesting, because Kalanovic right now, who, by the way, has gotten more underweight U.S. stocks of late. That's in the market. On, on, the, stocks, on, the fear, on the fear of over-tightening by the Fed and a weakening economy says we think that recession is currently not priced in the equity market. Well, let, let me just... There's Soft landing thoughts. priced in, but not the equity, and not, the, not a recession. Right. I think the narrative is priced in. I think people have come to grips with that, admit, but I don't think that they're focused on what it's going to do, what the knock-on effect, what it's going to do to earnings, and then valuation. Well, that's the Mike Wilson perspective, right, Bryn? Is that, you know, <laughs> earnings are unappreciated still in terms of how much they need to come down, and that's going to... to drag everything. It's, it's just a matter of when, not if. He says, okay, maybe it's been pushed off to, you know, they won't even trough, he doesn't think, until Q4 or Q1 of the next year. So I think it depends which sectors. Technology is still such a large part of the S&P. And even if you, if you take out the Googles that are in, and add them back into technology, tech is still like around over 30% of the S&P. And so I think that we've seen with Microsoft, we've seen with Amazon, 
you know, they are bracing for harder times. So I think this quarter is going to be incredibly important from the guidance of the tech companies, because if they are guiding lower, not earnings estimates, but actually guiding lower, then I think that's going to put pressure on earnings. On the flip side, I don't think energy earnings are all of a sudden going to fall out of bed. I don't think material earnings are going to fall out of bed. And so I think we still have pressure on the large mega caps, which unfortunately is a big part of the S&P. And so I do think there'll be other sectors that will, that will benefit. And this recession is not going to be equal across all sectors. So, Jimmy, I got I got the note right in front of me here from Kalanovic. OK, so I want to I want to quote more from it, because, look, you guys were riding, you know, driver and he was riding shotgun with you for a while on your view that, you know, you should be more positive than not. Right. He, he had this argument for many, many, many months as others had grown more negative. His uh, contemporaries on the street. Now, he says the recent weakening of economic data, ISMs, industrial production, regional surveys, retail, et cetera and anticipated decline in earnings expectations are pointing to markets that are likely to move lower in our view, right? He had changed his stance because he saw the writing on the wall, what some would say is a reality check that you have not uh, been willing to, to, to see. Nice pink highlighting, by the way. Did the camera catch that? I hope so. Nice? Okay, good. Yeah, how do you answer that, so. Irv? I hope so. Okay, well, it's actually a pretty simple answer. And yesterday I was on and I talked to you about how I was disheartened by the Empire Manufacturing Survey on Monday and yesterday's retail sales. And the, the way I see it is the economic data right now is a mixed bad. Those, those two data points I just pointed out were terrible. There's no other way around it. They were terrible. They were also a point in time. You've heard me talk about fourth quarter GDP, but I think the most important thing and the reason why in this mixed economic bag of data that I'm optimistic is very simple. It's jobs. Okay, that's where a recession becomes a hard landing. That's where you get the real breathtaking recession is when jobs, you know, on the monthly employment report, you're seeing losses of hundreds of thousands of jobs. And just quite frankly, we're not there yet. Anyone can say to me and be truthful that that I'm talking about right now. I understand. But but you shouldn't you shouldn't. I think you make the argument you shouldn't buy stocks on what you say is happening now. Right. You should buy stocks on the anticipation of of what is going to happen in the next handful of months at minimum. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. Okay. So you have to take the information that you have at hand and make those predictions. So where am I putting the emphasis in those factors? What factors am I emphasizing? Initial weekly jobless claims is the most timely factor that we have, and it matters. What also matters is what companies are saying. Now, we're really early in the, in the earnings uh, season right now. I, we've heard from the banks, frankly, it wasn't terrible. Yes, they're preparing for a mild recession. But it was worse than revised, downwardly revised expectations. Uh, we've had 8% of S&P 500 companies report. It's simply not enough. You know what I want to hear from? No, but you I, just said the best. Steve, hang on a second. I want to hear from Caterpillar. I want to hear what they're doing as they clear land for Intel's plants in Ohio and Samsung's plants in Austin, Texas. There's no reason to smirk. I mean, this is really happening. No, I, I, I want to hear about right? Intel's plants in Ohio. No, it's not. I mean, take a look at let, Delta. Let me ask you. No, no, no. Let me finish before you interrupt. Take a look at Delta United. Any of these airlines? They're not. They, what do you think? They're all flying to the, the workers to the plants that are being built in Ohio? No. Take a look at Las Vegas. We had the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. You make fun of. You know, New York as being this island off the coast of Manhattan, I get off of that island and I will tell you there's economic activity all over this country. Uh, Agreed. But let me ask you this, just as as a point of reference, I can't interrupt if you're finished, so I can only interrupt if you're talking. Please continue. So, But let let me ask you this. In order to take your position that you have, the Fed has come out and said, 
we're focused, squarely focused on labor. We're focused on labor costs. We're focused on payrolls. So you either have to believe that the Fed is unable to do anything about it or that they're lying. Lying so is too is strong. Lying exactly. is too strong. They are using a tool. It's called forward guidance. I would but never say they're lying, that nor would you. will give you the layoffs that you're saying will be a damaging point not, to your thesis. Not, well, here's my thesis, to be clear. They will not do that if they have price stability, if they accept victory, if they don't snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. All they have to do is accept the win. So is 5% it's right there in front inflation of victory? No. <laughs> no, but that's the last six months CPI headline has gone up 0.9%, which if you annualize it, it's not hard math. That's below 2%. So take a, look at, take a look at Cleveland Cliffs. Take a look at Freeport, what those stocks have done. Are those stocks doing what they're doing based upon seeing the turn in the Fed? Or are they doing what they're doing now because prices have now gone, started to go back up? Hasn't Freeport been on a tear? Yeah, exactly. My I point. wasn't sure where he was going with that. So exactly. it's Cleveland, Cliffs, Cleveland by the way. Cliffs. The commodities um, tell you they've got a strong pricing environment right now. That's inflationary. So let me go to Bryn real quick because you got it called away, Freeport, which is, you know, it just so happens that we, we pivoted and, and started talking about it there. You got it called away, right? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, I, I talk a lot about covered calls. And so, you know, in August, I bought Freeport at 30, and then I sold the January 35 calls. And I got about 10% premium. So it got called away last week. It's, it's at 43 right now. So my total return was around 24%. If I would have just held it and not sold the calls, I'd be up around 45. So I think it's important when you sell calls, you have to be willing to give it away. But the point on commodities is, you know, this is a play on China reopening. And, you know, copper is incredibly important. We have a shortage of copper long term as we try to electrify, electrify, um, the world. And so, I mean, I'll definitely be getting back into this name and selling calls against it. But I think that, you know, people wanting to play China in that China reopening, Freeport and Via Copper is a really great way to play that longer term. Okay. Uh, I'm glad we were able to get that in. Let's take a quick break because Netflix, as you know, is getting ready to report earnings in overtime today. Shares are up 30% since the last report. We'll tell you what investors need to watch. You'll hear from one, in fact find out what exactly is at stake. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. 
Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Right, we got less than four hours now until Netflix reports its earnings, the first of the fangs to do so. And lots are on the line. Shares have rallied a bunch over the past few months. Julia Borston joins us now with all that is at stake. Julia, and there is a lot. There is a lot, Scott, because Netflix shares may have rallied 8% in the first few weeks of this year, but that's after last year. Netflix shares fell by about half, and that comes because the company lost subscribers in the first two quarters of the year, among other reasons. But Netflix wants to change investors' minds about what matters and to shift focus away from subscriber growth. And that is why they will no longer share forward guidance when it comes to subscribers, though they will, of course, report their quarterly subscriber numbers for the prior quarter. Now, this quarter, investors are hoping the company will accelerate subscriber growth to four and a half million. That's what the company guided to in its last earnings report. But going forward, remember, we won't get that guidance, which has been so influential um, in moving the stock. Now, revenue growth is expected to slow to 1.7 percent. That would be its lowest rate since Netflix went public. And the company's earnings per share are also projected to decline, to actually decline by two-thirds to 44 cents per share. There are two key factors we're watching for Netflix's future. First, commentary about its new ad-supported service. And second, guidance on the impact of its crackdown on password sharing. Wells Fargo writing, quote, we think password sharing is the bigger catalyst near term we see it as upside to revenue growth estimates. We'll also have to see what Netflix says about its content spending strategy going forward as spending across the board, Scott, is scrutinized by all the media players. All right. We'll look forward. We'll see it about three and a half hours or so uh, in overtime, Julia. That's Julia Borson. You, sh- you see uh, Shannon Sakosha there as well because she owns the, uh, the stock, joins us now. So Julia set it up for us, all that's at stake. What are you thinking here? It's, it, I think it's, well, first of all, I mean, this has been uh, really a blockbuster. We, um, as you recall, added to this stock back in late September, um, and the gain has just been significant. Swapping it out for Meta was certainly a, a good call there. Uh, but I think one of the things that we really need to think about is what are um, investors going to be looking for from this stock? And so I think continued margin improvement um, and continued top line is really what we're going to be focused on. Now, you obviously drive that by increasing your subscribers. Um, but without that guidance, I think it's going to be increasingly important that Netflix can not only talk about what's going to happen with their ad-supported tier and password sharing, but really that content spend for me is critical. You look at the success of Wednesday, for instance, in this last quarter, um, that is going to be a huge driver for them in terms of subscriber growth. But how do they continue to churn out content that can can resonate across the board to a wide number of subscribers, Mm -hmm. grow their international base, um, and keep that margin up um, in an increasingly competitive environment? The biggest problem you might have has, you know, maybe nothing to do with any of the actual metrics or what we just spoke about. But the mere fact, as we said in the intro, the stock's up 31 percent since the last report when they reversed the, the, the quarters of sub losses into into gains. And as Kramer said this morning, quote, expectations have gotten very high. That, that could be the biggest problem you have. 
Yes, and I would say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see some weakness, you know, especially if they're not um, not able to provide, you know, appropriate guidance in terms of what their expectations or if those are positive expectations for ad-supported tier. Um, we've seen a great gain in this stock, so we could see a little bit of a pullback. But, Scott, you know, I've been uh, invested in streamers for, for many years um, and continue to think that if you look at Netflix, they are so far, so far beyond where all the other streamers are in terms of focusing their business on profitability, really moving beyond just subscribers ads to revenue per subscriber. And that international business, I know it's something that we haven't talked a lot, of, a lot about over the last couple of quarters. It is going to be a catalyst for them to continue to drive top line over the next few years. Yep. Shannon, we'll see. We will see what happens in overtime. Thanks for joining us. That's Shannon Sakosha there. So Bryn, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting issue. Um, first mover advantage, right, which, which this company certainly had doesn't necessarily mean now that you're the last man standing, so to speak. No, I mean, I think this is a mature business, first of all. They're, all these streamers are still spending a ton of money fighting for every dollar. But I do think that Netflix continues to put out good content. I mean, kudos for, for Shannon and them. I mean, the stock is a double off of the low in a very, very short amount of time. And so I still think that Netflix is the one to beat. But also, I think that you have to have good expectations. I don't think this company is going to even remotely have the performance it's had over the past 10 years just because there's too much competition and it's a mature business. We can only spend so much money on 20 different streaming services. Weiss, what's your view here for someone who, from someone who, yeah, as an observer who doesn't own the stock? I, I, think it's, um, I think Netflix is a clear winner in the space. Uh, it's extremely competitive. It's getting more competitive all the time as others try to figure out how, like Disney, for example, how they can make it profitable. So you sort of all in or you're not in at all. But being the winner in the space doesn't mean you're going to be a good stock going forward. So that's the issue I have. So that's why I'm not invested in it. Kudos to Shannon. Like Lulu, like so many other stocks, you've got to buy them when they really break. And then they'll bounce. Yeah. Next quarter will be fine. Which Josh Brown did, right? He, yeah. he bought it when it broke. It, it yeah. bounced a lot, and he just got out. Uh, within the last week or so, as, as we've told you all on this program and, and in overtime. Jimmy, you're the Disney guy, Paramount, no yeah. Netflix. Um, look, if we, if we were just to say that Netflix is fairly priced right now, not bull, not bear, I'm not in the stock, so I don't really care. You know, I would look at those subscriber numbers as a metric for valuation, and I would say that, okay, Disney's catching up on it. Um, but Disney interests me for far more than the streaming. What really interests me in the streaming is Paramount, and it's really simple. They currently have about one-third the number of subscribers as Netflix, and they have one-twelfth the market cap. I mean, I know this is a very simple way of doing it, and others are going to say, well, okay, but they're having to spend right now. That's true. But they're reaching peak spending, and they're now getting to the inflection point where cash flows pick up from that. By the way, those investments they're making in the streaming are funded by their legacy business. I mean, stock trades at like 10 times earnings, 5% dividend yield. So, again, it's a valuation question. And as, Steve, you just said, being the winner doesn't necessarily mean it's a great stock. Being behind the winner but catching up doesn't mean it's a bad stock either. Do you have to avoid a recession for these stocks to work? I think perversely, the recession might actually help. I mean, I'm really not hoping for this, but the, but the theory here is if people – look at him, he's got it. He's like, no, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear this, too. No, Go if ahead. people are at home, they're spending more on streaming services. That's what happened during the pandemic, well, maybe they're just, right? Well, I mean, that's, well, that's that, what happened in the pandemic. Yeah, but they also were like, you know, money was floating from the, the heavens – during the pandemic yeah, as I'm not, well. I, I hear you. I'm not sure, and I mean this honestly, I'm not sure that $10 a month, which is higher than what Paramount charges. Sure, but I'm the whole sure point really here is that it's, 
it's a $10 here and a $10 there and a $10 everywhere because of all the competition and the different streaming services that, that people have. It's right. A good, it's a very good point. Now, I'm specific to Paramount. My thesis on this is it is underestimated what the size of this streaming business is and how how rapidly it's growing. This is not the also ran. It's not. All right. Coming up, we got a double downgrade for one financial stock as the sector heads for its third straight negative day. We'll find out how the committee is navigating that space in our call of the day next What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs with your CNBC News update at this hour. The U.S. government hitting its statutory debt limit. Now the Treasury Department's begun resorting to, quote, extraordinary measures to pay the bills in a letter to congressional leaders. Secretary Janet Yellen said those tools can continue until early June. After they expire, Congress will need to act to prevent a default. The only HIV vaccine in late-stage trials has failed, dealing a significant blow and disappointment to control the global pandemic. Researchers announced the decision to discontinue the effort after the data showed no evidence the vaccine lowered participants' rate of HIV acquisition. The trial, led by J&J's Janssen Pharmaceuticals, began in 2019. And President Joe Biden departing the White House to travel to California to survey the damage left by weeks of winter storms. Biden's visit comes after he proved a disaster declaration focusing federal aid on three hard-hit counties along the state's central coast. The president will also meet with first responders and deliver remarks on supporting the state's recovery. Scott? All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Financial is one of the worst performing sectors today, being led to the downside in part by Charles Schwab. Those shares under pressure after a very rare double downgrade to underperform at Bank of America. We've made it our call of the day. You might recall that Carrie Firestone made it one of her stock summit picks. She can't be with us today, but she has sent us a note that I want to read to you. She says it's outperformed most financials, perhaps the analyst being very price conscious. Although it still trades at a 16 P.E. on next year's earnings, the concern is interest expense on deposits. I think they must be overly worried given interest rates are coming down over the next few quarters. So at least we wanted to get that to you because it is having an impact uh, today. Bryn, what do you make of this? It is a rare double downgrade uh, for, for any stock, but let's talk about this one. Well, first of all, Schwab is a great company. We all know that. They're the largest, if not one of the largest custodians. But you have to understand 60% of their revenues are dependent on interest rate sensitive sectors like margin loans. And so I think as the Fed has been very aggressive, which is not a secret, but if we get one or two or even three more hikes and then they pause, that's still going to hit their revenues because they are so interest rate sensitive. So I think if you wanted to play financials, I would look at more of an asset management firm 
less interest rate sensitive like a KKR or a Blackstone? Weiss, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I mean, look, it's clear it's, it's, it's a derivative of, of the rates market. And I was looking at a chart, and it's not, it's not a one-to-one correlation, as the analyst would have you to believe, didn't say, but have you to believe, inverse correlation with rates. However, I think there's another issue here. And the other issue is that, that you've got treasuries, which are now extremely competitive with what you can do in the market and what Schwab will offer you that are also tax advantage. So that's a concern of mine. I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a double downgrade material. That generally happens when there's an event that causes the entire thesis to be, you know, to change the underwriting of it. I think it's a great company, great long term. I'm not buying it here. But if it went down, you know, maybe another 10, 15 percent, I'd be tempted. But how would you put it into the context of a, a Schwab versus a, a money center bank, right. uh, a private equity Less risk stock. in the model. Less risk in, in, you know, I don't mean risk in terms of, of uh, macro risk. I mean in terms of underwriting risk, what they do, MPLs, et cetera. Their loans are collateralized. So, so I think it's better from that standpoint deserves a higher multiple. Jimmy the Bull. Yeah, um, I like that. Thank you. Um, look, Schwab's a fabulous company. Like Bryn said, we use it as well. Um, the double downgrade, Steve's right. I mean, that's a pretty aggressive call. And I understand what they're doing with the interest rate sensitivity here. But the, the question I have is, is that not known by the market right now? I think it is known by the market right now. I can't tell you what multiple this should trade at. Um, and as viewers know, I'm more akin to the uh, money center banks and, and the investment banks. That's where I just see a bigger macro bet, which everybody knows what mine is, what my outlook is for the economy. And if I'm right, then there's going to be a bigger impact in those banks than there will be in. They just suggest you're going to get more, you know, opportunity to outperform in Owl, KKR, as Bryn mentions, Aries. Amy, how would you how would you advise people to to take this downgrade and, and how they look at this space? Um, we're, we're slightly underweight financials, and we're pretty comfortable with that. If we're going into a recession, um, Steve's view of the world is at all correct. Um, it's going to be tough for, for the sector generally. So we're in sort of the more defensive financials like a Berkshire um, will we'll serve you well. Um, you know, I, I, we don't own Schwab. We haven't owned it for a long time. Just looking at that P.E. of 17 for Schwab, though, is, is, is um, pretty compelling. So if it could keep continues to go down and, you know, a little bit of time passes and the economy holds in, um, I, I would look at the name. All right. Straight ahead, our chart of the day. It's a mystery stock, and it's gaining more than 20% in a month. Falling today, though, on a downgrade and falling quite substantially, too. Bryn owns it, so she'll tell us what she thinks about that call if she's sticking with it. Next. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. Now it's Roblox. Why? That's why. Stock's down more than 6%. That's after a Morgan Stanley downgrade to underweight. They say that good news is priced in. Shares down more than 70% last year, as Bryn knows all too well. Sorry, Bryn, but this is our chart of the day, and you own it. Well, at least it wasn't a double downgrade. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Look on the bright side. Yeah, and so, so I own Roblox. I think it's interesting. What you have to understand is this. This is a high growth, which I'll get into, yet not profitable tech company. And so it's just not the environment where Roblox is going to break out and start to recover and go go forward. So I'm owning the stock. I haven't added to it. They come out every month with their monthly metrics. So two days ago, they came out. They have 61 million daily active users 
which was up 18% year over year. Their, 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 their hours engaged per month were 4.7 billion, which is up 21% a year. So this is a sticky growing platform. So the way I'm playing it, because I don't want to add to it yet, because as I said before, it's a high growth, unprofitable tech company. Once it gets close to 40, I sell 53 month out of the money calls. And then once it gets back to about 30, I close those out. And so if you can look at a chart since May, it's been trading between 30 and 40. So I think the downgrade on price totally makes sense to me. Okay, Um, that's interesting. I mean, these stocks, Weiss, you know, these once high flying tech stocks have gotten off. This stock's up 17 percent year to date. Yeah. Right. As the alleged trash is now treasure in some areas of the market. Yeah. So so I think people, when they see the market rallying, uh, they want to get in. And when do you get in? You get into the beta. And we've seen it in other areas of the market, other stocks. To be short-lived? Yes, I believe so. These are exactly what you don't want to own now. And what the market's told you, hey, we have no appetite for companies that we can't see a direct line to profitability. And right now you can't. As a matter of fact, you know, looking at Morgan Stanley model, not that it's necessarily right, the, the losses per share are accelerating in the next few years. So you got to be able to value stocks. And then you have the issue, not necessarily with this, but others. Okay, if they're losing money, how are they going to raise capital? How are they going to replenish to grow? And so that's going to be much more difficult. Okay. Quick break. Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word. Plus, we're getting ready to grade your trades. You can email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. Of course, you can tweet us too. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We will be right back. We are back. Senior markets commentator. There he is, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. All right. I mean, last couple of days, we're feeling a little uneasy here. And now comes Netflix. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm not surprised that we have this general unresolved uh, overhang in the market. Uh, Nothing was really going to kind of call out the verdict on soft, hard landing. None of the data that comes in is really dispositive on either side of those things. Uh, And so the earnings have been kind of sloppy. You guys were talking about Schwab. I think financial earnings in general have been uninspiring at best, and those stocks have not responded very well. That's been a big undertow this week, down 4% in the XLF. So I think uh, it's it's ragged action, but also not necessarily uh, too different from just market consolidating after a 4% move. All the stuff that ripped to start the year, the, the real laggards from last year, all the high-risk speculative stuff has been giving some back. So I think it creates a little bit of a, a noisy churn-type environment. Netflix, to me, not necessarily a bellwether for, for much else except for Netflix. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's going to have some people decide whether uh, these sort of uh, Phoenix-like comebacks in some of the, the beaten-up growth stocks uh, are really worth betting on because that has been a great comeback story so far. Yeah, no doubt. One of the best, too. Uh, we'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli right. at the Stock Exchange. I'll see him down there in overtime, of course. Grade My Trade is up next. Send an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us. We'll do that on the other side of this break. All right, it's time for Grade My Trade. Amy, you are up first from Wayne. I added SLB, right, formerly known as Schlumberger, added at 34 last year. Should I continue to add now that it's in the 50s? What do you think? You own it. I own it. Um, and obviously, A-plus on adding Schlumberger or SLB now at 34. Um, the stock's about 57. 
We own it. We own it in size. We trimmed it at the end of last year. And I think it's not going to work so well in the next six months, say, as inflation comes down. This is really an inflation beneficiary in, in many ways. So from a long-term perspective, I like it a lot, but you might get it at a little better levels in the next few months. Okay, Weiss, this is from Nate L. in Kansas City, and it's a little long, so pay attention. All right, I know your attention span is a little short these days, but like your fuse. But Can we take listen, a break in okay? between the questions? I bought 400 shares of the TLT, okay, that's the Treasury Bond ETF, right? 400 shares of the TLT at $103 in late November. Another 100 shares at 105.50 last week following the CPI. I believe inflation has peaked, is now rapidly decelerating, and that negative operating leverage accumulating across P&Ls will drive earnings to decline in the coming three to six months, causing a sell-off in equities and money to rotate to long-dated bonds. I would like for Weiss to grade my trade. He keeps it real. So, so I'm sorry, you were asking me about Netflix? Nate, if that's what you want to call it, fine, but... Go ahead, Weiss. Yeah. Uh, look, I, it's a great trade. I mean, I'm on the other side. I own TBF, uh, which is betting that rates go up, and they have been. Um, here's what I'd say. If you're making a long bet on treasuries, I would buy shorter-dated treasuries, and you get a better yield, you get better tax advantages, uh, because you're not paying state tax. So buy a six-month at well over 4% yield. That's, you know, 50% higher than here. Buy a two-year rather than buying these. These are more appropriate, and what I use them for, frankly, are hedging or to help express a view. Okay. Bryn, to you from Channon, London. I bought Tesla on October 24th at 2.05. I added more on November 28th at 184. It's currently at 126. So what do we think here? So the Twitter purchase obviously sent Tesla stock much lower than any of us expected, but that's what the market does. I think that the China reopening is, and, and Tesla's price cuts in China are incredibly important. China is 60% of global EV sales. The U.S. is nine. And so while everyone focuses on the cut price cuts in the U.S., the China price cuts give them the opportunity to be competitive against BYD, mm-hmm. BYD and make a lot more volume. So I think it's, I give you a C because you got into the name a little bit earlier a little bit too early, but I think in the next few quarters, we could have a Netflix-like recovery in the name. So stick with it, and we'll revisit it in three quarters from now. Let's do this quickly, Jim. From Donald in Oklahoma City, Transocean, bought at $3.50. What do I do here? Great purchase. Hang on to it, up 67%. The bottom line is this. Day rates on their rigs are going up so fast that they're able to bring some of their rigs that are idled back into service. Things are going well there. All right. We will step away. We'll do final trades on the other side. Well, it's on in overtime today, needless to say. Why? Because Netflix. And you don't want to miss that. Right at the top of the hour, we're going to get that, see what happens to that stock, see what it means for everything else, too, that is about to come down the pike. Adam Parker is going to be with me. Got Mark Newton today. Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe as well. Snipe owns Netflix, so we'll get his first take there. And I look forward to having you join me then. All right. Amy Raskin, final trade. Cognex, um, unloved, but I, I right now on the street, but I really like it long-term. Um, substitute capital for labor. All right, Bryn. Altria, it's got a dividend yield of 8.5, a trailing 12-month free cash flow of $8 billion. I think it's a good name with an outsized dividend in an uncertain market. Jimmy the Bull. 
Kinder Morgan, another good dividend player here. Excellent results yesterday. All right. And Mr. Weiss. I'm not putting anything to mark by own Chevron. I think momentum continues in energy stocks for the time being. Had some interesting calls of late on some of those energy stocks. All right. Thank you, everybody. I will see you in OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.